welcome to the TNTDBC, the official book club of Try Not to Die. I'm your author, admirer, Noah Prito, hair flip, look to camera, talking head style, live with the truth or die with the soup. And I'm here with... Lisa Condemi. They came to say, hey, this is me and my intro. Bam. Smash. I hope you like the new intro style. It's sticking, baby. It's very Housewives ass. It's very Housewives. And why is it Housewives, Lise? Why do we think it's Housewives? Because the name of the book of today's episode is They Came to Slay. And I mean, those ladies slay. Are the OG slayers. If we all agree that real Queer culture shook to its core. Oof. Uh, canceled already two minutes in. Um, so today, as I said, we are discussing They Came to Slay by Tom James Carter, a fantastic review of Dungeons and Dragons history and its queer potential. Um, and one that we are mentioned in. Oh my goodness. I'm still freaking out. This is the high. I think I might die happy because of that moment. A Even very, I might be miserable up until then. But. A very unexpected and pleasant surprise <sighs> to be mentioned in this book that is chock full of so many. Like we're mentioned in the same book as so many amazing indie podcasts yes. and a bunch of huge podcasts. So like, many icons. We're mentioned in the same book as Critical Role and like NADPOD and to mention 20. Like, and Anthony Rapp. And Anthony, Anthony Rapp Anthony, spoke in a book that I'm please, also in. You don't know how I had my first gay experience watching Rent. Anthony. Like, the first the queer first. sleepover of my life. Wow. One. Falling in love listening to you <laughs> sing. <laughs> this is such a beautiful introduction into this episode. It's so apt, honestly, well, what we, we're talking we're about. We're grateful and blessed. We're so. very, very grateful. This Thanks is, for the mensch, Yeah, Tom. seriously, Tom. Thank you. It was <laughs> lovely to speak with Tom. Um, and we are going to be cutting pieces of that interview into this episode as we go through the chapters and answer some of the questions that we had asked Tom. And yeah, I mean... Let's start with a little bit about the author, right? Why don't right? we? Why don't we? Tom is a freelance writer who has bylines in Current Affairs, The New Statesman, Wired, Insider, and more. Not too shabby, Tom. I know. Not too shabby, <laughs> Tom. It would be sounding better out of your mouth. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm Tom. I'm a writer. I live in Scotland. I recently wrote a little book called They Came to Slay, The Queer Culture of Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, that's all I can think of right now. Perfect introduction. <laughs> that tells us everything we need to know. Cool. Thank you so much for joining us. We are so excited to ask you a few questions about the book, you, and the process that brought you to bring it into existence. All right. Now, let's go. Like we always do. Uh, back to the beginning and start from the introduction go through the you know eight main chapters a little short rest throughout the book mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. and discuss what we learned in this week's book club and perhaps um go over our thoughts on the questions you want to kick us off i think you got one of oh them yeah there. well so the first thing that we spoke to tom about was how um he got into D D in the first place and kind of what drew him to that I feel like I'm quite D&D-centric. Mm -hmm. Us as well. Fortunately and unfortunately. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> um, a bit of context, though. So, like, I don't know. I guess I've always been a nerd. I've always been, like, somebody who's, like, on the periphery of things. So, like, things that were, like, fantastical or magical or weird just kind of 
spoke to me and resonated with me, especially in like a world that often feels unmagical and restrictive and just like boring when it doesn't need to be so boring. Um, so yeah, I've always been interested in like fantasy, um, played like a lot of video games, read a lot of uh, like choose your, choose your own adventure books. Um, but I think at the 13, I started playing World of Warcraft and that was kind of like my like gateway drug as it were like um like what was so fun about it was like like sure like the developers like put in like limitations on like character creation like maybe there are only like 10 hairstyles or like six different piercings or whatever but like at least I could name my character at least I could present them how I wanted to present them at least I could wear the armor I wanted um and so on and so forth um so I played that for like 13 years or something on and off um like huge time sink um like one of my characters um you can see how long you've like invested time wise in that character now one character had like 500 days or something wow. like Incredible. so like gross gross amount of time <laughs> <laughs> i could have been doing other things other more useful things um but no and then like i started winding down from that and was like okay like i want to explore like ttrpgs dnd specifically and I was like traveling around a lot at the time. So like, if I got into conversations with people, it'd be like, yeah, let's play D&D. &D. That sounds so cool. Let's do it on this day. And then like that day would never come around for whatever reason. But in the pandemic, uh, during the lockdown, uh, well, lockdowns are uh, plural. Um, I was invited to my first game with a group of friends um, who all played previously, apart from only one other person. It was like a big group. And yeah, then it was just kind of like, that's when everything began. So I figured that we could talk about that a little bit since, you know, we didn't get into D&D all that long ago and here we are mentioned in the D&D book. I mean, we're basically an instruction manual for success. It's true. Like when I look at my story and your story, I think, wow. Fame. Fame. And if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. So um, Noah, how did you get into D&D? Oh, wow. Okay. So I just want to say that you mentioning how you know it's only been okay so i think i got interested in it in 2017 but mm -hmm. i didn't start doing anything with it until probably 2018 mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but so i had uh you know i'm on the D, &D groups and i see people being like i've been playing D, &D for 32 years and i'm like what can I, I can't imagine doing anything for 32 years and I've mm -hmm. been living for 28. So um, yes, I compared to so many others have had so little time. I started in 2018 with a Pathfinder campaign um, because I had heard of Pathfinder through this TV show called Harmon Quest by Dan Harmon and a few of his comedian buddies. They basically were playing D&D &D in front of a live audience. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards someone was animating it and oh. it, it was like a cartoon and also a D&D live play show. Mm -hmm. So it, it blew my mind. It was like the funniest kind of content I'd ever seen. I had been in a content dry spell for quite some time. Things felt kind of like, I mean, I enjoyed things, but it it was like, whoa, the possibilities of improv. But fresh, with guided yeah. Stories, very fresh. Like, so 2018 started that. Had a um, campaign themed around like New York City 
that but set in a fantasy world like far in the future that took over that fell apart very quickly um was that the one where at the very kind of end like the last uh session we saw like an uh, anachronistic iphone that was actually the was that your next campaign, campaign okay did, okay which was the wizard's tower right um which was by far one of the best campaigns i did and that was dungeons and dragons by that point i had realized Oh, but we played a little bit of Pathfinder, didn't we? At first, I think you might have joined in on that campaign. Yeah, because I played I played a dwarf whose name I don't even remember now, but she was my very or they they were not binary. They're my very first D and D character. Yes, I would have to go back. That was that campaign for sure. Okay, yeah. Um, and yes, it was Pathfinder. I realized Pathfinder was really complex compared to D and D five E, and I wanted more people to get into it. And it was harder to teach Pathfinder. So I was like, I'm going to, you know, switch to D&D. That also seems like the mainstream thing. And I kind of like this enough to maybe make something out of it. Mm -hmm. And then literally 2019, so a year after that, several campaigns later, I was like, oh, shit. I really do want to do this, like, as a career in storytelling. I want to embrace this media. I was so inspired by, like, NADPOD at the time and then eventually Mm -hmm. Dimension 20 and was like, I can do that. And um, (laughs) that's when I reached out to you and Shane. And literally, that's, like, what was that? So 2018, I start a year into my D&D career is when I was like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to start doing this on a Late 2019, we were, like, figuring it out, like, getting the materials together. We sat down and we're like, okay. Noah wants to do this story, but has no idea what story it is. What Mm -hmm. should we do? And then we all brainstormed together and we came up with this incredible world together. Um, And yeah, I've been essentially every campaign since then I've been playing in Fayfall. I've had maybe three or four other campaigns total. Mm -hmm. And all of them have been set in the Fayfall multiverse, if not on Fayfall itself in like a demiplane attached to it, et cetera, et cetera. I've loved exploring this world. I love <sighs> that I've been all over it. So many different people and characters and live so many different lives in it. It's very fun. And it's fun when I learn other things, especially things that like clue me into try not to die secrets in your other campaigns. And I'm like, <gasps> and I'm like Zola doesn't know that. But I'm it's- like, <gasps> Little, t- I like the the best feeling in our D and D campaigns together is when I get to reveal something that's like not so essential that you like absolutely need to know it for the pod, but something that's like a clear line to it, and it's like oh, no way. Then that means oh, okay, Noah, no Noah, <laughs> lots of looks like that. But you know, it was um, it's been an absolute joy to play in Fayfall. It's been such a joy to create it with you. And I mean, all I did was uh, draw a map and have some vague concepts, and it was <laughs> that's. Not all you've done. I, so since sorry. then, it's spiraled. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me. I mean, I have been present for yeah, a it's, lot of it. But well, tell it's me a about similar story because it, you were the domino that fell and struck my domino. Um, I feel like we have always, um, and in our friendship, we met in college, and we have always been interested in art. We did a lot of music together mm-hmm. in college. A lot of. <laughs> Choir, I think you said. I think you just said choir regular with choir, just people which singing. is already. <laughs> and so that was our creative outlet for together for a while. We were composing, like mm. we were in a group together for a little bit. We were in a book, a couple of different groups yeah, together. We, we got to and, sing a lot, wow. and so that was kind of a thing that we did together. And then we left um, college, and we were living together. And then all of a sudden, I uh, 
you started talking about D&D and you mentioned to me I should check out the show Nad Pod. And so I was like, OK, I'll check it out. And it was some, you know, comedians that I had liked a lot as as a kid yeah. on YouTube and stuff. So that got me totally hooked. And also, I mean, talking about new medias, new possibilities drawing us in. It was very immediately queer. Nad Pod has a young queer very wholesome romance yeah, um, right off the bat yeah and so that was like i was like whoa okay you don't often get this where this is primarily like a comedy and also you know like a mystery fantasy drama yeah where like i don't know so much media like the gay people die yeah and so i was like <laughs> how come every every gay character i love has to fucking die yeah. it, it doesn't have to be like that yeah and so there were a lot of jokes uh, about it and it just felt like humor that i was like oh i yeah. could really get behind and also this would be so fun to do with my friends and so when you invited uh me to do it at first i was like so overwhelmed when we started playing pathfinder and i was like wow this is really long because we were also like because none of us knew what we were doing yeah. our combats took so long every we'd be turn there was for 20 like, to 30 minutes we'd be there for like eight hours and i'd be like we don't know if we like Pathfinder. yeah it was like my head was hurting but it was like i i was getting the adrenaline high of dming but of the i was story, also yeah. getting pain from being like this is so hard. And so we adjusted. We adjusted. I found a character that I could identify with more. I think my first character, I didn't understand. Like, I was like, oh, I'll play like something fun and like fantastical. And yeah. then the next campaign, I was like, oh, I could just like make think of a person and then think of what they would be like in yeah. in a fantasy world. And then that was just so fulfilling and so fun for me um, that when you wanted me. And I love hearing the sound of my own voice so much clearly. So when, You have a great voice. So thanks. Wow. What a compliment. So um, immediate, immediately I had to sink myself into the hobby that you <laughs> sunk yourself in so that you would spend um, time with me. It's so I could true. see I was quickly losing you to the dice, and I thought, it well, I'm in for a penny and for a balance. It's very true. But this actually, it's funny you say this. It's funny because we're talking about the history. I didn't even think about this, but there's been, I don't know about you, mm-hmm. and we should, I, I would love to hear this. I used to play pretend as a kid all the time. Mm-hmm. Me and my friends would play like live action Super Smash Brothers. So mm-hmm. we'd all play as our favorite characters and they'd be like battling oh, on the playground. Fun. I love that. Oh, so much fun. And you know, like you come up with your own plots and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then flash forward to college in the middle of a manic episode when I tried to make my own <laughs> game about myself. Right. right. I do remember that yeah. game. Uh-huh. And <laughs> so of index cards. this is like the culmination <laughs> of all of that, which is like, it's it's not just me. <laughs> and so, I mean, I appreciate you leaping into the abyss with me. I yeah, no problem. Um, I also loved to play pretend as a kid. Um, I, my um, cousin and I, who we ha- just were very into fantasy and, and fairies and stuff as a child, we went from playing stuffed animals to playing dolls mm. to playing fairies to then starting to write about it. And we actually, we talked about this the other week, like for so long, but I, we started writing Shaolin Showdown fan fiction. Hell yeah. Yes. We wrote like hundreds of thousands of words of Shaolin Showdown <laughs> fan fiction. It really spiraled out past there. It just became a story at that point with all of our original characters. Yeah. They were very limited, but it then you would still you would get speckled with the flavor of Shaolin Showdown. <laughs> There's a Shengon Wu that's appeared. <laughs> exactly. We can't kiss right now. <laughs> exactly. I mean, we were you know we were growing up and we were right. and we were LARPing a lot. I would definitely play with like sticks pretending to be swords and stuff. But my thing we is talked about this also. The yeah, other day. my thing is my favorite 
favorite thing about the like live action role play was never fighting it was always about like entrenching myself in that like life like how in like skyrim i love to play the side quests and stuff like i don't give a fuck about the main quest i want to do like the tiny little things i loved like packing our little like peasant lunches i would get like breadsticks and like yeah. pull spring onions from the ground i love to pretend that i was like foraging and being like a a person who had to like make do with like a different type of a different type of world it's so beautiful and wholesome and also so clearly tied to our ancient roots as like how we survive exactly yeah um and really great segue because tom actually spoke heavily on this so not only did like jumping into our second question here which is what drew you to ttrpgs and DD and that inspired content um, so you've kind of always had this connection to it and this desire to express. Yeah, definitely. I like having influence over character. Like if I'm playing a game, I want that person to be who I want them to be. And like, I want to have an influence and an impact on the story. I think a lot of people who love D&D, like half of the fun of it is the fact that you have so much control over your characters. And so many of us grew up loving those games that allow you to have even the smallest amount of like exertion over like what you look like yeah. or who you are, how you relate, Skyrim and those kinds of games that let you actually put like a stamp on your identity. Yeah, I mean, how much time did I spend not only playing those kind of RPGs, but just sitting in character creator, flipping through every single option to be like, ooh, I don't know, I kind of want blue skin or green skin, <laughs> like, oh, you know. Yeah. It's like the most important thing of the game. <laughs> it really like is. Like all of these like tiny decisions, because if they don't look like how you don't want them to look like, it's like, are you going to be invested? Or like, um, after like two hours or so, it's like, hmm, I'm not sure about that hair color. I'm going to have to delete that character and like go back again. Oh, um, yeah, totally. We, um, I was, when I was, um, over your house playing Elden Ring, mm -hmm. I, I made three characters in one sitting. Cause I was like, that was really cool. I really got to try out the other ones though. Really got to see what else that looks like or how I can make my person look like this. It's it's a great, as you say in the book, it is a great way to express yourself and to kind of see things in a way that may not be as easily possible. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a really good way to like lean into versions of yourself that you would prefer, but also like the complete opposite of that, like, be, like being like, I want to be this like disembodied like brain in a jar and like I like I'm moving around like that. Do you know what I mean? It's like you can be versions of yourself that you want it to be, but you can also be like things that are completely wild and not possible in real life. And that's really cool. That's really fun. I I think that is exactly the best way to put it is it's just a way for you to experience the stuff that your mind is already able to conceive and can experience, but in our limited technologies, we just don't have the ability mm -hmm. to manifest those into the real world. Yeah, or like limited technologies, but also like limited imaginations. So let's dive in now. Let's take a break from our questions and let's dive in some audio. Get that, get a few flips. Um, Should we go to the first chapter? Let's go to the first. So there is of course an introduction where Tom kind of discusses the essential topics of this book and kind of the aims of this book. And I think, I mean, it becomes evident very, very clear. 
Oh, wow, queer. Wow, a little Freudian slip there, my friends. <laughs> um, it becomes um, clear very uh, quickly about the, I mean, the intent behind writing this, and then also the truth of how much D and D provides a space for queer identities and queer types of play. Um, so yeah, let's jump to chapter one. A potted history of Dungeons and Dragons. Can I just say, it is so wacky and unique to me to think of uh, the fact that D&D was like a bunch of straight guys around a table. Like, I don't know, I can't, I can't swear <laughs> I to can't all of them. I can't picture it. <laughs> like, it just, I just think it's funny because like, I think you and I are so entrenched in the, the queerness of D&D and um, all of the podcasts that we're friends with are, are certainly pretty gay. Um, but when we like, read back to the history of like Gary Gygax and D&D and the creation of it it's it's v cisnormative it's v heteronormative I mean I believe and I, th- I think this might be mentioned in the book pardon mm-hmm. I don't have a I don't have a, a footnote um that he wow. basically was Putting a Christian cons- I know right <laughs> footnote foot mouth <laughs> um basically was a Christian conservative you know and Cot was contacted by his partner, Dave, Dave Arnson, and you know, they met each other and basically this game sprung from Arnson's like notes. It's crazy to think like I mean, we all so many of us know Gary Gygax. I had known that there was another person who had worked with Gary on the mm-hmm. project. I had no idea to what like extent either one of them had. Mm-hmm. I knew that like as we know in modern times Gary Gygax incredibly problematic so I was like uh you know I don't know to what level he had in creating this game but it blew my mind to find out that it was basically him coming in and being like oh you made a game here's how we can make that like a marketable like set of rules that we can play yeah by. exactly yeah I wonder how those um contract negotiations <laughs> <laughs> I, believe it or not, I'm happy to not sit in on that. Um, I do think that it's kind of cool that we missed out on the whole, like, um, satanic panic of D&D. Totally. But that's obviously mentioned, too, in, like, the 80s. Uh, I think it is... Um, I don't know. if Have you ever had any, like... Has anyone ever, like, t- told you not to engage in fantasy content in your life? You know... I have been fortunate enough to not have that happen because my dad is a huge nerd. Mm-hmm. He loves sci-fi. He loves fantasy. I, I I mean, probably all of my love for it comes from having a parent who was so like, look at this and the, the wonder and potential and possibility, you know, like, and so I was very, very fortunate that the only sort of negative like views I was pushed mm-hmm. were from like people around me, right? Like people thinking nerdy shit was stupid. Was and, nerdy, yeah, yeah. Like I think that like I was fortunate my parents weren't like that, but definitely everyone in my life, like if I was like, does anyone want to play Dungeons and Dragons? Shut up, So nerd. yeah, I would have gotten like made fun of. I've, thankfully, I was one of the taller people, so probably not beaten up, but definitely made fun of. Mm-hmm. What about you? Did you have a strong like stay away from that voice in your I life? had never, I don't think, heard of Dungeons and Dragons really as a kid, but I did um I grew up partially in the Bible Belt, and uh, the, it was a very. Um, I remember there being a couple conversations about Harry Potter being satanic, 
like wow. in I was in like VBS vacation Bible school which is what you um do in the summer when you're unfortunate enough to have religious parents Hell instead yeah. of have vacation <laughs> go to more Bible <laughs> go school go to more church baby um and yeah I remember them being like it, it is evil that you know Harry can use magic it's evil that there's witches like this is against God that this exists obviously um you know fuck JK Rowling <laughs> but like not <laughs> not in that way <laughs> we're not on the same team but also <laughs> for different reasons but um yeah that was the only like that's the the kind of vestige of that experience but my mom also like introduced me to lord of the rings as a kid and then read harry potter with me and so i kind of had you know her voice also being like no i think it's okay like it's fictional lisa it's it's a book yeah it's okay but i'm just thinking about a world where we could have grown up with you know thinking that this game was like wrong to play like yeah. it's so silly and strange it's so so silly we're and just strange. playing pretend we're just playing pretend <laughs> it's i mean we're getting in touch with our inner child if we're saying it in exactly. like that you know the therapeutic sort of sense and i i really am like the only negative perception i have in my mind is people being like those people like I, I knew what Duchess and Dragons was, but I knew it as portrayed in media of like a bunch of nerds dressed up around a table, um, yeah. like rolling dice and being like, "My wizard attacks your dragon" or, or something like, like that. Um, Ben's game in Parks and Rec, the cones of, uh, oh my cones God. of Dirtshire or something yeah. like that. Like what is it? That's so crazy. But that's that's game. what I picture. Yes. Um, so yeah, it was very interesting to diving back to the book. It was very interesting to see this history and to like, I mean, five E people, of course, people are always crit- critiquing it. You know, mm-hmm. we've got one D and D on the horizon. People are always going to keep changing it. When I got to five E, I really was like, wow, this looks pretty complete. Like it felt, it, I knew that obviously it wasn't, but I, I was like the, the skeletal structure of this game is so refined is pretty good that it's like yeah it's gonna like you can change it and like you made it a way where it's like the basic math principles can be altered to create other variations of the same game yeah it can be whittled down and like more basicified or it can get way crunchier if that's what you're into exactly and so like i you know didn't really conceive of what the earlier editions meant like I, i couldn't like really understand the development that it's gone through Mm -hmm. and i would say that i even though i knew up like throughout the podcast and till today it wasn't until my birthday when jacob and becca got me old old fucking incredible texts from the DD world i've got like the original monster manual over here and then a third or 3.5 edition player's handbook Mm -hmm. seeing that and then reading this book it really cemented how much work has gone into this game and Mm -hmm. how much it has changed Mm -hmm. and how much it has changed for the better in so many different yeah, ways. For sure. Can I say also, I like that we're I we're iPhoning the names now. We we were doing numbers and now we've ended five E. We're going back to one D and D. Now it's gonna be like D and D X, D and D Ultra I'm, R. I really I know I said this a long time ago and I was like, I swear to God, if they make a fucking sixth edition, I'm gonna lose my fucking mind. Cause five again, it's like you look at D and D as a game, it's like five E is like, okay, you you did it. You made it simple enough that anyone could play it, and you made it breakable enough that anybody can change it to be whatever they want. They can get so far away from D&D and just have that original character sheet, and mm-hmm. that's it, and it's fine. And so making another version felt like I was like, no, cash grab! <laughs> now I'm like, you know, ultimately, 
I am just pro the game changing and getting better. So, yeah. like, if they want to call another fucking name, I don't care. I'm playing homebrew D&D anyways, <laughs> let's be honest. I'm pro the game expanding also. I just think that there could be more. I think that there could always be more. I know that a lot of it is sandbox, obviously. But even now, now that I've kind of started DMing and, like... We have done a lot of, I've played a lot of different characters. We've done a lot of different one shots where mm. we look through items and abilities and stuff. I'm like, I want more. I want more classes. I want more spells. I want more items. Like this shit should be twice as big. I, I fear. I think <laughs> you are spot on. I think that the future of D&D is that like, like, I mean, what's left other than essentially making certain mechanics official, right? Mm-hmm. Like developing, like, I mean, getting into the drama of D&D at the moment, but there's been some criticism of late that, like, they've been creating a lot of content but not a lot of, like, rules to help, like, cre- work that content into D&D adventures mm-hmm. that exist. Or it's inconsistent with, like, other adventures. And, yeah. Like, it's confusing. It gets confusing. And so, like, I'm looking forward to, like, on that mechanical level, mechanics that people have been using and, you know, f- other things that people are like, well, how do I cal- how do I factor in this? Like, coming up with optional mechanics that you can use. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, like talking a little bit more of like the the fun parts of D&D, like the classes and stuff. I know they have some like scant rules in 5e that are basically like bare bones on how to kind of homebrew certain things. Mm-hmm. I am so excited and so hopeful that they not only create even more refined balanced mechanics for that, but then also present like example classes that you know like i mean i don't know if you know this but in the D- the dm's guide i think asmr is written as like a it's an example homebrew race because i think at the oh, time it like wasn't official or something and so i'm looking forward to the like future editions being like here are some example classes that we've ones. built that yeah. you can like use or mold or reflavor or totally take apart and rebuild like right i'm very i'm equally as excited to see like how much more we can create and make accessible for mm-hmm. people across the world. Um, any last thoughts on chapter one? I, yeah, I feel like a lot of that work is being done right now by creators who are making content that content that then gets really famous and then gets incorporated into the D&D world, like Matt Mercer and mm-hmm. a lot of his, uh, you know, his settings and his classes um, and races getting uh, incorporated then into, like, uh core D content that yeah. you can access yeah um so it, it would be interesting to see what wizards in the coast is able to like kind of put out put out themselves yeah come on show us a little something huh and that actually is a great transition into the next few chapters chapter two is the contemporary realms of D, which i mean we've kind of been talking about 5e and one D on the horizon as i said before that's going to be like my new phrase is like on the horizon. I think. <laughs> Jumping to, let's say, ch- chapter three, which kind of okay. gets into the queerness aspect of D&D. How do you think the, you know, the TTRPG world, but, you know, specifically in D&D, since right now that is not only our focus, but also one of the biggest, um, I mean, it's the biggest game that's making some of the biggest changes right now. How do you think it could be even more queer? Really good question. So... I think from like a publisher standpoint, so like Wizards of the Coast, we've seen that like incremental uh, like journey of more representation and more like explicit representation, but it still does feel like an ongoing journey, right? It does feel like, you know, there are more steps that could be made. Like 
you know, like put that like very explicit queer on the front cover of that like adventure book or like make this character like very integral to the story rather than somebody who like you may happen upon or you may not. Um, because I feel like there is a danger that with the characters they've included thus far, you may not see them. And then if you don't see them, you don't know that they're there and you don't know that um, there are queer characters that have been built into this world. Um, so yeah, I think like just more explicit representation is one thing. Um, I think the other thing is, so um, there's this writer, um, Bonnie Ruberg, um, who wrote a book called Video Games Have Always Been Queer. I think it was published by New York University Press in like 2017, 2018, 2019, something like that, around that time period. And something they said was like, you can play video games in a queer way. And this is my example. And I'm sure Bonnie gave far better examples, but I can't remember them right now. But like, if you're playing Mario Kart and the objective is to like, be the best, like you come first in that race, you try and sabotage your opponent um, and you try and use the things that are available for you to win. But like a queer approach to that is like, okay, I'm not going to go straight forward. I'm going to go like the opposite way around because that seems fun to me. And I'm going to make an objective for myself to like try and not hit the other players as like, and I think it's really interesting that like, and it's something that I found myself doing in other games where like, there is this like very clear objective but you're like, there are things that are more interesting to me. Like, I'm going to go and look at this mountain because it looks pretty. Or I'm going to go fishing or something rather than killing this, like, uh, villain character um, that, like, the whole story is built up to. Like, I'm going to go pick up some herbs or something. And, yeah, I'd love to see more materials from, like, big name publishers that, like advocate for queer ways and queer like alternatives of playing video games where like you're rewarded for doing different things like you don't have to go from a to b and that's how you get experience you can get experience from like just like hanging by the lake for a day and fishing and like you know you have blown this whole thing open by saying this i had never conceived like this play style as queer, but this is a hundred percent how I play so many games. I just started, yeah. I am almost done with this game, Carrion, which is a you basically play as this horrid monster that's kind of like trying to escape this facility, and there's scientists and you know military people, and you're trying to fight and eat them all. And I dedicated my play styles like the goal, no matter what, like what you have to do here is set up little hives and escape. That's no matter what, that's essential to the gameplay. But it, I don't think it is essential for me to have to kill anyone who isn't attacking me. And so right. I try like this entire gameplay, my five hours so far of playing it, I've been like, if I accidentally kill someone, I'm like, I restart and I try again. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm like the, the objective that I've created is gonna be more satisfying to complete than just me being absolute carnage incarnate. And, destroying everything in my path. Yeah, exactly. And so thinking about it, like one thing on Twitch is like people who play like speedruns of games. And I guess that's like a queer approach. And like, um, I know that there are uh, like play styles and games where like, if you die, even if you can like resurrect or like go from the previous save point, like 
you like you restart that game because that's what that's how you want to play that game and i guess that again is a queer approach um yeah so it'd be cool to see more of that for sure but yeah like when i read that book i was just like like that's how i've played games before um but now now that i know that there's like kind of a word for it like an explanation for it rather than just me being weird yeah wow i feel like also that uh those kind of like cozy games are getting more and more popular yeah. now and they're really popular with queer people because they're totally. games that are super open-ended that you can kind of focus on the story that you want to tell and what you want to prioritize in your gameplay experience rather than having like a from point A to B adventure. Like you introduced me to Stardew Valley and that might be the queerest yeah. game I've ever played because it's literally yeah. like, sure. there's just no wrong way to play. You can win in whatever route you want to take so long as you are like, I want to do that route yeah i think the like lack of threat is interesting where it's like okay i'm not going to die like i can just grow a nice field or like go to a lake and fish or like date a villager or something it doesn't feel like i don't know i think the like this is a very in the moment thought so i'm probably not expressing it very well but like, Blue sky the, like yeah, we're, we're workshopping <laughs> Yeah, we're like jumping. Yeah, I think the absence of threat is interesting. We could probably think about that from a queer perspective. Um, but yeah. Yeah, have to think about that. Yeah, more. that's very that's true. Being attracted to a game where there is uh, maybe more uh, more of a safe space to explore yourself yeah. rather than having the, like the critical pressure of a threat. Yeah, like essentially yeah. it's like I have to go and seek the challenges that I wish to take on. And that is, yeah. you know, a freedom that most, if not all, queer people don't necessarily have. Yeah. Um, wow. Amazing answer. My mind is blown. And you've given us the <laughs> second book for our book club. So I think that that <laughs> yeah, is yeah, yeah, yeah. already a great contribution. When I saw d and D, I I don't know about you, Lisa, but I was like, this is gay culture. Like, I was like, everything about this screams queerness to me. Yeah. Listen. <laughs> Listen up. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Tieflings alone, like, who dreamed those things up? Kinky <laughs> like, little fiends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're just like, yep. Okay, this is gay. this is for us. I don't know, actually, if you ever... um. Okay, D&D leans into camp fantasy in this mm -hmm. way that I love. Like, I love Lord of the Rings, obviously, because it's so epic. But, like, I just feel like it... And some people do this and they have a great time doing it. I just feel like it wouldn't be that fun to play through Lord of the Rings with your friends. Would I be like amazed by ourselves at the end? Like, and be like, we crafted a beautiful story? Yes. But like the campiness and craziness and wackiness that is just built into D&D &D is gay itself. Beholders, like they're very silly little creatures. Yes, every, there's so many like initial ideas that are from the first renditions of Dungeons and Dragons that are like, you're telling me that is like a scary... It's camp, darling. It's camp. Yeah. Do you know the um the Bakshi Lord of the Ring cartoon? Lord of the Rings cartoons? Um, okay. I may. Did they make a Hobbit movie that was amazing? Because yes. I remember seeing an animated Hobbit movie when I was a little kid and it was one of my favorite... I've only seen it once. It was one of my favorite movies. Yes. You should watch uh, <laughs> this, this man's name was Bakshi. B-A-K-S-H-I. And these films, I find them beloved. Many people hate them because they think that they're way too, like, silly and flamboyant. They're very inspired by, like, sort of, like, 
like the elves lean less towards like majestic Banff elves and more towards like Keebler elves. Like it's very silly and also kind of campy. And as a kid, I loved those because yeah. I was like, this is the same story that I've been reading. I, I think there's only the Hobbit and Fellowship of the Ring. I'm someone's shaking their head out here because I am quoting it wrong. But send us some on DVD and we'll watch. It. <laughs> yeah, let us know. <laughs> let me know. Um, I'll read the wiki after this, but. Um, they were just so silly and I loved that they were fantasy and that they were also a little wacky and like with yeah. crazy, goofy, cartoonish expressions and, and magic and stuff. So I love how silly D&D gets and I think it's very gay to be silly. I totally agree. I think that like when I look at Dungeons and Dragons, it's the way I feel about media in general. There is, of course, a beautiful place for sincere, like very serious pieces of media there's like obviously you can make anything and it can be beautiful i find the, myself the most touched by things that feel the most real mm-hmm. and even though dnd is pure fantasy the fact that like weird stupid silly things happen and that things get named certain ways or that like certain encounters you deal with are so ridiculous that you want to just throw your hands up and go like what kind of world am i living in Mm -hmm. like that is real life like living in new york i on a daily basis am having experiences that i am just like this is surreal and (laughs) that in, in some ways like fantasy kind of brings that to life it shows you that it's like Yes, this is a fantastical world, but there is a lot of realness in it. And I, I think that that is also very inherently queer. Mm-hmm. And in this chapter, he discusses a lot of the way that D&D has been bringing in queer characters, um, which, I mean, gang, read the book for this chapter. There's a lot of insight into the different types of ways that D&D has incorporated queerness and like the different methods. I do want you for to explore better, that for, for better or for worse. But I do want to maybe focus on the fact that modern D&D, like, you know, this kind of tags into chapter seven of this book. I feel like the vast majority of the time I'm seeing characters now that are queer. Like mm-hmm. when I'm, pl- like, even a campaign like NADPOD, which is, I mean, Brian Murphy is, as far as I know, and as far as he's presented, a, a straight cis man. He is constantly incorporating queer characters into his story without yeah. even flinching, without even, like, being, like, Look at this, gay. <laughs> look at this gay. Yeah. Like, it's just like there was a, uh, you know, a non-binary character in the first arc of Eldermorn that I was, was just totally there. That was my first uh, time, I think, that I saw a non-binary character in maybe anything. I feel like I've wow. watched, I've watched a bunch of stuff with trans characters in it, but I don't know if I have like taken in any fiction content that had a non-binary character until i met um sib in their eldermorn campaign and i remember for a second like hearing it and being like are they saying they and i was like (laughs) maybe they're just doing it because they don't like know yet and then i looked up like is sib non-binary and i was like holy shit wow we're doing it oh my god i had the same experience (laughs) i was like i was like (laughs) it kind Um, of had like a moment that really felt like i was a weird like conservative i was like Wait, what are their pronouns, though? <laughs> I was like, oh, wait a minute. Holy shit, I'm getting representation. Um, and, and with a badass character. And with a badass fucking character. Loves him. So fucking funny. And that, I feel like, is obviously it's popping up everywhere. They um, In the book, it's talked about the kind of, you know, the modules that are slowly incorporating it and some of the items and stuff. But mm-hmm. I feel like now more than ever, I mean, granted, 
we are living in a little New York bubble and we're all queer and stuff and we mm-hmm. listen to a lot of queer con- we have a cultivated content life yes don't know any straight people don't know I have never met one in Thankfully. my life but what I can say Count for sure <laughs> sweating over here just thinking about it um, uh, <laughs> um, I, I know that like obviously we have a very different experience for many people in Dungeons and Dragons but I think that whether people know it or not, they are incorporating queerness into their campaigns. And I think that Tom talks about this briefly too, of like, like whether or not a straight man who's playing a totally different gendered individual realizes it, they're essentially kind of experimenting with gender. They're in that trying moment. it on. They're trying it on. Yeah. They're like, hey, I'm this, I'm this woman barmaid who's giving you a quest. Um, you know, like, and you, they're not thinking like. I'm experiencing some sort of gender euphoria here, but in a way they're getting a little taste, a little bit of a taste of what it's like to just, just try be on different things. A different narrative, which yeah. I think is, is good for Ooh, everyone good too. Phrasing too. Yeah. yeah. Cause like even when I think if, whether you are like a, a, a straight person, a gay person, a trans person, a, a cis person, you go through a lot of like figuring out what is right for you in a lot of different ways. I think a lot of trans people, they don't exactly, know what flavor of trans they are yet and <laughs> there's they, so many flavors you, too. yeah you gotta like try on a couple things and then be like oh am like am i all this and then you're like ah, oh, maybe not and then you're like all this and you're like ah, oh, maybe not that like you kind of you know figure out what your lane Same is imagine. and what makes you happy yeah. and so i think that um D is a really fun way to try that and to be like i don't have to like live in this character all the time like i can just like see see how this coat fits yes this ties great into chapter four which is a character Thank the God character I sheet is more than a character track. sheet i'm i'm here for you um <laughs> and you know i mean i would maybe we save talking about some characters that we've played until the very end yeah because it would be nice to end on that kind of note we'll hit it back up but i do want to you know we'll touch upon this it's strange to me there is a and I, as a trans person, this there's a weird kind of euphoria I get from being able to like min-max my stats. Like being able to be like, I'm gonna play a sorcerer. Um, she's gonna have really high charisma. So I'm getting to like w- w- live this wish fulfillment of being like this hot charismatic sorcerer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm also getting to like kind of craft a body for myself. Like mm-hmm. think of my form and like the numbers which in our world numbers for sizes and stuff seem are like torturous for me. Right. But like in this world being like, <laughs> like seeing that I have an eight or a minus one for strength, I'm not thinking to myself like, Oh, I'm so weak. I hate myself. Yeah. yeah I must I'm look like, terrible. <laughs> I'm like, I have other talents. I don't need to be lifting weights. Like, you yeah. know, there's like some, there's some hidden euphoria and, and literally the sheet itself of being like, look at my, I mean, look at Zola's athletics. Lisa can, has a plus 13 when playing Zola like that. Yeah. There's that like euphoria of being able to be like, this is me. It's not me. But it also is me. Yeah. Knowing your strengths and knowing your vulnerabilities and getting to lean into your vulnerabilities in a way that in life, I think we are often like desperately trying to make our vulnerabilities uh, like lie and pretend like we have strength in them. Totally. And you just don't have to do that in D&D. You just absolutely can be like, ah, yes, I'm such a talented caster. I'm extremely weak. Help me. I'm going to die. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so fun to be able to kind of just you know experience that experience Mm -hmm. and explore what that might be like and it's you know 
in you mentioning about how in life, like so often we're running from problems and now that I'm approaching 30 and kind of trying to learn how to be a vulnerable human being, I am like realizing that it's like that pain you actually like that vulnerability and that like openness and freedom to like make choices and learn yourself is so scary and terrible, but it is also so wonderful and euphoric. Like it's very cathartic mm-hmm. to go to get on the other side of that, the going through it. Oof, no one should have to do that. But, <laughs> but like having um, th- that sort of like I, I, in my real life, I'm coming to terms with how like, oh, that really this really sucks. But I know it's important for me to like make these choices and deal with these problems right now because mm-hmm. I know I'm finding myself. These are the mm-hmm. things that are coming up as I'm finding myself. And in D&D, it is um, a safe space to do mm-hmm. that. It is the world where you get to be like, you know, I'm craving these dramatic moments where the DM challenges my character on their point of view. And I, I have to make big I, choices yeah. or leave things behind or choose better for myself. We'll get into characters again later, but I want to point out there was one I played, Joanna, this sorceress, mm-hmm. um, who's wild magic sorcerer. It's like my first real playing player character i got to play and i just took like the burn it all to the ground route of sorcerer in which i was just like a damage dealer i was very like battle ready and so i got to be destructive which was cathartic but then i also got to role play the like negative consequences of that destruction of like Mm -hmm. one like starting a fight and being like i shouldn't have started that fight and like processing that and like in the real world i'm not starting fights i don't i know the consequences of it <laughs> no i've been meaning to speak to you but i saw you earlier in the walgreens parking lot <laughs> i deleted all of that security cam footage you do There's know no i live way. upstairs so <laughs> but the angle you couldn't have seen there's no way um but but yeah it, it's a really nice to be able to be like you get to exhibit these aspects of your personality and mm-hmm. even if you're like i actually don't really like this part of myself and in the real world like learning that your shadow is part of you and that you have to accept it for what it is and work with it to understand and change it. Like your D and D is where you're doing that. And your shadow doesn't have to be like hiding and like throwing shame daggers at you from the shadows. Like you're like, come on out. We're going to play. It's going to be totally normal for you to be like psychotic. And then you get to also have the reward of confronting that and like working through and deciding if your character changes for the better or changes for the worse. And like what consequences come from that? Very queer to confront your chaos demon. <laughs> There's nothing gayer than going every, into the closet to confront that gay demon. Has a little chaos demon inside, <laughs> and to look that demon in the eyes inherently is queer. That kind of ties into chapter five, which is the magical effects of role play. Uh, yeah. Um, Tom talks about his experience. Of course, I definitely want you to hear that right now. So I know you talk a little bit in the book about. Um, some characters that you've played that have allowed you to express yourself what are maybe some of those characters or campaigns for you it's really interesting so when i was writing the book i had a couple of people say to me and like reconfirm the idea that like a campaign or a character doesn't have to be necessarily queer for you to explore queerness i think kind of by virtue when you create a character like they're going to be nuanced, but they kind of lead with certain traits. Um, and, you know, maybe in real life, you're a bit, a bit more of a shy person, but this character is very brave and very like, maybe, maybe we could say an absence of common sense. And like, I think just by like kind of leaning into 
things that maybe you're not, or maybe you could be, or you wish you wish you could be, you're kind of exploring those things naturally. And yeah, I think it gets really interesting from a queer perspective. So one of my very explicit queer characters is um, Marlo. He was a writer, um, but like wasn't getting, uh, you know, wasn't earning a lot of money. I swear this isn't based on me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Unloaded all time. Um, yeah. but, no. but his husband, um, so he lived with his husband, and but his husband started getting sick for some like unknown reason, some unknown cause. So Milo basically made a pact with uh, the Raven Queen for physical and magical power, um, and like he would basically cut like the competition, uh, literally and metaphorically. And, you know, with that absence of writers and books, like, his work started becoming more popular and more um, spotlighted. And so, like, he started getting this money coming in, and with that money, he would funnel it towards trying to get, uh, like, a resolution for his husband, trying to like, find out what's wrong, get treatment. Um, that didn't happen. Um, and, yeah, I think that character was... I think I wanted to create him to, like, explore, like, queer, like, grief and longing. Um, he, he's a character, I kind of based him on like Victorian haunted 19th century, uh, kind of, but like very queer. And I don't think the campaign or your character has to be queer for you to explore queerness, um, or anything else about yourself. Um, so my first character, a druid, he was like living his best Walden life. Like he went out to the forest. He was like, fuck everyone. <laughs> like, I'm with the plants, I'm with the trees, this is how I'm going to spend my time, I live in a cave. Um, and he was very black and white about his views. Um, and that's something in real life I wish I could be more of, and that I could be, like, really resolute and strong in my beliefs. Like, I wish I could be like, fuck late stage capitalism, I'm going out to the forest myself and, you know, like living off the land. But like, I also appreciate some modern luxuries, right? Right. <laughs> um, so I often feel that I'm kind of like in between things are not strong enough in what I believe in. It was really cool to experience and like live viscerally through this character who was so black and white and like strong in their beliefs and acted on it without giving a fuck what anyone else thought about or even thinking about the repercussions um, and just did what he thought was right. Jumping ahead kind of to that role play section, talking about how this is becoming your character. You like are becoming this character. Are there any moments tying into the pod, mm -hmm. any moments that with Zola, jump out of you right away that kind of scream those moments of moments where it was a like a cathartic moment for you lisa or a moment where it was like lisa would never make this choice like would not make this choice but i i get an opportunity to try that out here and right. see the consequences and see the story that happens from it yeah well I mean, playing Zola ha has been so cathartic in so many different ways. I It has been fun to jump back in time 10 years to myself as a teenager. I uh, 
was not a, a happy teenager. I was uh, upset with what being a teenager was like, which most teenagers are. It's not. It's not a good or fun time. <laughs> Teens get honest. in the comments. How do you feel? <laughs> it's bad. And bad. and you don't have a lot of agency. And I didn't Ugh. feel like I had a lot of agency. And um, Zola has massive amounts of agency. I feel as though I can do anything as her and tell anyone to fuck off and make any choice I want to. And that is exhilarating, and it is intensified by the fact that it is a one v one podcast me versus you i know i immediately was like i guess it is 1v1 it's 1v1 Fight. i mean that's why it's called try not to die right is because it's just, it's on me obviously i am so grateful that i get you know friends along like <laughs> ashley and all of my amazing npc companions but like the typical D game you're sitting around with four or five people and you're right. all kind of deciding well there's no one here to bounce my ideas against when ashley isn't here when it's just me i get to decide you know what i want to do this and yes i think about you know what my fictional loved ones need and stuff in that moment because zola's a very considerate person yeah, so that's part of zola's character yeah right and just getting to completely be like the person in control and deciding and going for what i want is like the best D experience totally it's so beautiful and so fun and also i have feel like you and i have built up so much trust because there is like we are the only people here for each other to volley back and forth between yeah and we have to play into each other's performance like this is a two-man dance and we can't let each other fall you know 100 yeah, percent. and and neither one of us wants to set the other one up for failure so we're yeah. actively working not only to like maintain the dance but be like and here's my lift i throw yeah. you in the air so i mean the the agency has has been really fun to play um mm. a DD campaign where i feel like i'm chasing strongly and constantly after what i want to do there's no side things where i'm like oh interesting my um companion family mysteriously died and we're gonna look into that for a little bit and i'm not really attached to this but i yeah. care about them so i'm gonna help you know do this but just playing a, a gay teen has also, you know, been been wonderful for me. Um, and, you know, I was, again, grew up in the Bible Belt and was unfortunate enough to deal with an incredible amount of homophobia mm. for most of my life of having to be in the closet and having really, you know, judgmental people in my life um, to be in a podcast where I find my mom and uh, she's um, really sweet about it. That's cathartic in itself, you know, getting yeah. to getting to play that narrative. That is one so wonderful and so well said. And I'm so happy that we get to do this together. And I, I look at D&D &D and this what you said reminded me that D&D &D can follow and combat the same kind of bullshit we deal in life but it doesn't have to go the way it so often does. Mm -hmm. Just touching back to what you said earlier about like your favorite queer characters always getting killed. I mean, minor spoilers for the new Game of Thrones. It's going to be five seconds. I'm going to say this. Like a character is queer, and then like the second episode, they get their head bashed in. Right. Like it's like yeah. And I saw that also. It was like you know, it's a forbidden queerness. And yes. The creators were talking about how there can't be any queerness. I actually did want to talk about Game of Thrones and tonight as well. Excellent. I had it on my mind. Let's, as, yeah, we should. Because it's just chat. the antithesis of what we're kind of talking it's about right totally it's 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 literally i look at let's look at both game of thrones versus 
Game of Thrones versus Try Not to Die. Woo! Gay. Gay. Game of Thrones. Of Thrones. <laughs> well, they wish. And no, we're gay. <laughs> we're Game Thrones. of Thrones. <laughs> um, so, okay, comparing these two pieces of media, Game of Thrones takes a hard, like, gritty... In, a, in the real world, there's a lot of homophobes, so in this world, there's tons of homophobes. And it's, in D&D, it's like... No, it doesn't have to be like that. Hey, we, we live in a we... fucking world where there's dragonborns. Like, so you're telling me at some point a human fucked a dragon? And so no like, one was like, what are we really, we're going to get mad about gay people? <laughs> like, are we really thinking about gay people in this yeah. way right now? And also, I, the reason why I want to talk about it, you know, th- this book obviously is about queerness but inherently i think when you make your table a a safe space for queer people you're also trying to make it a safe space for like people of color and a safe space for uh, for women uh and i think that like D D is the only like fantasy content i really had consumed that never had any sexual violence in it which is in there's so much of it in game of thrones and there's so much of it in so much of tv now which every time it comes across i'm like why 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 are we spending minutes to dedicated to this when we could just be exploring almost any other story in the world literally every piece of media i've encountered in the past like three months has had some degree whether it's something really horrible or something just like like boundaries crossed yeah i recently i walked out of the um horror movie barbarian because the whole marketing campaign around this um film was like Go in without knowing anything. You have to go in without knowing anything. It's so crazy. Don't know any. The the less you know, the better. Even the marketing for the like TikTok ads is like all of the audience like gasping and like, you know, the dark vision cam where they show the audience like (gasps) getting scared, nothing of the screen. And then I went to the film and so much of it was about a woman, um, you know, being torturously afraid that a man is going to hurt her. And I was like, oh, man. I Would feel these feelings in real life. I don't want this. Isn't fun for me to watch. You know, no hate to the. There are definitely points that I'm reading that film. I read the Wikipedia synopsis, right. and it is, of course, about these themes. So, uh, not that I disagree with whatever it was trying to express, but yeah. it is so frustrating for it to be in so much media nowadays. And it's refreshing to have a fantasy game that i can play and a lot of different podcasts and shows actual play shows that i can watch and i know for a fact because of the ones that i'm watching are gay that they will never have any sexual violence in them because it goes hand in hand because queer people don't we're not uh, about we don't get the attraction to like role-playing that kind of situation say for i don't know maybe some people are handling it you know and very delicately and uh people want to tell art about what they've been through Mm -hmm. that's rad but I'm just not into consuming that nowadays. So I, right. when I find something queer, I'm like, oh, this is also going to be safe for me, like as a survivor and like right. someone who doesn't want to have to engage with that. I think that, I mean, first of all, thank you for sharing. Yeah. And I agree that if if I look at all the media that like I've consumed in my lifetime, I understand that there's media that's hard and painful and you know shocking. And it, it serves a purpose. And depending on the, who the creative is, too, you know, mm-hmm. like everyone has the right to tell their story, too. So, of course. Yeah, there are exceptions place. that there are, are exceptions. handling it and 
and that's the point of the media. Right. But I think that, and this actually goes, I mean, I see this with D&D shows because even there's things in the D&D community that like other aspects of D&D that some people enjoy, other people don't, you know? What I love about D&D is that that conversation is open and there's not like a judgment aspect. People are like, oh, I'm not looking for that in my D&D game and we all agree we're only going to play if that's the case. Whereas like, media in general just is like who's getting funding for this so like it just gets made and so like i i like that we can we have this freedom to be like i'm you know what that's not for me that kind of hit presses a few buttons for Mm -hmm. me that i that i'm not comfortable with yeah whereas like in other forms of media it's generally not that it's generally like you can't guarantee that there's not going to be some element there. right you might have to look it up and spoil yourself or something totally like, whereas D, it's like we kind of the vast majority of them again as you said there's of course going to be exceptions to this but the vast majority especially all the shows we've listed they do not do that and we everyone going in knows that we are not going to be dealing with these very very painful subjects for mm-hmm. some people and there's always like i i mean w- I've been reading a lot more about safety tools and consent and things in games. I feel like, uh, you know, we have those conversations a lot more organically because we're best friends. And so we kind of just like know each other's deal already. Yeah, we have a we have a longstanding relationship. We have a rapport, trust. I know yeah. <laughs> what, we've talked about a lot of the stuff we've dealt with. Exactly. And uh, but I think that it's so good and so cool that there are um, so many tools in place, tools even built into things like Roll20, like X cards that you can put up on the screen if yeah. you're like, oh, I don't want to tell this kind of story right now. Um even like there was um, one campaign that I um, was um, thinking about playing where there was like uh, even a an option to say to the DM, hey, like, I really don't like how that went down. I really want to rewind the last 15 seconds. Wow. Like, I didn't like how my character, if you're like, you know, that that wasn't good. I am not proud. Like, I said what my character wouldn't have said or something or I wasn't thinking or I forgot something. Like, just being like, hey, you know what? This wasn't the story I meant to tell. Like, can we go back real quick? Yeah, because sometimes you make a snap choice i mean Mm -hmm. like it doesn't happen a lot because at this point you've you've really worked into zola so much that you generally are so quick on the response with it but like we've had a moment where it's like i can i reword that yeah i I want to say this and i usually i'm like i want to say i'm more epic hold on and then i'm like don't tell (laughs) me me a second (laughs) (laughs) but you know i mean of course that it always depends on the table and everything and i think that what tom talks about a lot in here is about you know, knowing who you're playing with, having that trust, you know, when we jumping to, I know this seems like I'm randomly tying something in, but I promise it's connected. Mm -hmm. Like chapter six, the dungeon master's world, Mm -hmm. this, that conversation, the kind of the veils and the lines and all of the different mechanics that we as a community are coming up with so that we can tell stories that are impactful without being painful. Mm -hmm. That's what, one of the reasons I also love D and D is that like, you know, there's so much media out there that's already been created, right? So there's there's a saying from the Bible um, that there's <laughs> nothing new under the sun. And I personally do believe that. I think that new things are iterations of old things. And they are beautiful and unique and creative in their own way. Same that thing not negate. with music. Same there's only so music. many chord progressions. You know, I, it's it's... There's no judgment here. Also, I that's one of the cool things about this type of things is how you how much can you twist something and tell the same thing but mm-hmm. different. Um, but like I'm so thankful that in D and D that there is just this freedom for people to be like the cliche here is that your mom is a distant loner who is not gonna like you and is gonna be disappointed in who you've become. Mm-hmm. The more satisfying and emotionally rewarding thing for this character 
is having a mother who loves her deeply and yeah. desperately wanted to be there for her because and knows she our, fucked up. Yeah, because we want our characters to win also. Like, yeah. there's no there's no reason why you and I would have spent two and a half years <laughs> Can you imagine? building a story just for you to, like, <laughs> tear it down. Asshole. Well, that's like one time we were hanging out and Ashley was like, what if your mom was, like, just dead? You know, kind of making a joke. Oh, yeah. And I was like, well, you know, well, I know not, that Noah wouldn't do that because... What would that do for Zola? So yeah. we'll just be like, oh, fuck. I, <laughs> I lost her once and now I'm losing her. And, and, and like the loss there is such a complicated. On, honestly, like there's a, another add on here, which is that especially in the format that we have, that deserves more breath. That kind of yeah. emotional conflict. Like, that's not something that's that not something that we can a story we could finish here. in 20 episodes. Yeah, I'm yeah. certainly not going to be like, here's this really, really like difficult pill to swallow. And then um, you definitely still need to pay attention to all of the other things that I find important. It's like, Mm -hmm. no, no, no. That story is the story of Zola now. Like, we need to deal with that. That's huge. So it makes sense. And and I love that D&D gives us that freedom. And the DMs, the freedom to expand and incorporate these stories. And now, gang, we're going to talk about what you're all been here for. Just kidding. You were here for the whole book. But we are going to talk about the shout outs to the various D&D shows. We're going to just pick a few out of here. We're going to pull up just a few mentions. And then let's talk about the future of D&D. And then maybe a few characters. I have a little question. I'm wondering, so you started playing D&D during the pandemic. Did you start interacting with D&D content, like actual plays shortly after? Or like, when did that come in? Yeah, so with like actual plays and... Just kind of like D&D, homebrewed content, fan main content. Yeah, that kind of happened at around like the same time. So I was like, what are other people doing? What are other people playing? Am I playing this game right? <laughs> um, and actually, so one of the reasons why I leaned into actual plays like really hard was because at the beginning I was like, huh, I really enjoy the people I'm playing with. I really enjoy like the story so far, but like sometimes it feels a bit awkward. Sometimes there are pauses. Are we laughing too much? Is it should it be more serious than this? And like then I quickly discovered like with actual plays, it's like no, I'm playing it exactly how everybody else is playing it, and and like those moments of like laughter and like chaos, like that's what makes it so fun and so enjoyable and yeah, just like a really great thing to do. Um, so yeah, actual plays were a really good like lesson in just like leaning into my instinct and then just doing what comes naturally. And not feeling weird about like the pauses that happen or like the weird jokes that don't land or you know, whatever else. Like it's gonna happen. There's a quote from Anthony Rapp in your book, I think about how there's a, you know, yes, there is some freedom when you're an actor in reinterpreting and, you know, kind of bringing some some changes to what the script is, but you are very confined. And I think it is very well pointed out in the book, the fact that this D&D, TTRPGs, the content they create is like nothing else in the world. And it is somehow as intensive and beautiful and um artistic as like a a play that's being put on every night but you're doing it on a regular basis with a group of people who have no idea what the script is and that is that's like uh the frontier of that sort of of media that's like the unexplored territory 
Completely, completely. And as you were saying all that, I'm like, yes, like actually everything you said now, I've been like, yes, I think my publisher should give you a contract to write like a new book about deity. Because yeah, like- The collab of the century. Yes, yes. If you get this book and you want to see um, us mentioned, it we seems are so on... selfish for, for us to do this, but I absolutely, <laughs> I, this made my life. Like Tom is amazing. So wonderful to talk to him and being in this book is such a joy. We're on page 85. Um, 85 we're mentioned with a bunch of really awesome, um, really awesome shows. Tom says, in addition to Trisha's hideous queers, a couple of queer actual plays I find particularly exciting include Try Not to Die, a self-described queer as hell. That's my log line, bitches. D&D actual play, Queens of Adventure, which combines D&D with drag queens and death to divinity another actual play in their own words starring fat queer babes which is so crazy because the reason why we saw we were mentioned in this book we weren't tagged our friend who is friends with someone in death to divinity tagged us because they posted a picture of this and our friend saw that we were also mentioned and tagged us and was like um hey guys the internet is crazy (laughs) are you in this book so like we wouldn't be (laughs) maybe we wouldn't even know about this (laughs) oh maybe tom would have mentioned us i would have i i hope that tom reached out because it was so lovely to talk to tom but truly it was such a surprise (laughs) we were in a what (laughs) um i'm also i have to say that i was geeking here to be um, as soon as I look, saw Queens of Adventure, which combines D&D with drag queens, I was like, oh, I wonder what drag queens, a host of really amazing drag queens from all over the country. Wow. There's like a main cast and then they also do a bunch of live um, shows at drag cons with different drag queens. Um, a couple of my favorites have been on like Ben de la Creme and uh, Rock M. Sakura, some of my um, fave drag queen alums. So I was wow. like, technically, I'm mentioned on the same page as Ben Creme and Rock yeah. M. Sakura. The degrees of Kevin Bacon are close. Yeah, they're close. Exactly, my degrees to Ben Closer and closer. So thank you, Tom, for putting them in that paragraph. Um, that's <laughs> yes, the honestly, most exciting thank you for part. putting us in that paragraph. Yeah, that's the most exciting. So, you know, please check out those shows. Definitely. There's also, I, I know for a fact that there are TikTok clips from that show because yes. I've watched like that was my first um, like exposure to Trisha's Hideous Queers I remember seeing a TikTok and then reading this book and putting two and two together oh, and being like whoa I have heard of this other show so it is definitely check out um, all of the incredible um, shows that are mentioned here. You know, there's Critical Role and stuff like that. But hey, show some love to the independent creatives. We, Critical Role's got, they got that freaking uh, Congress library's worth of content you can dive into anytime you want. There's lots of these little shows that are popping Which, up. man, I have been working my way through the past Churning. the past week. I'm, you'd be so proud of me. I'm on episode 18 of Whoa. the first campaign of Critical Role. I've watched like 30 hours of Critical Role in the past week. I'm very, very impressed because, I mean, it is well known they're in the community AF. that they're very, very long they're episodes. Junky. And the first 30 episodes is definitely when Critical Role is kind of like learning what it means to be to be a live play show. Yeah, so it's fascinating to it. watch like the growth and rapid change to what they are I'm today. I'm so jealous. They're like, I'm watching them eat like fried chicken and shit. And I'm I like, know. damn, no one I should have, we should have set the precedent. We should have started off way worse. So, I mean, my quality wasn't the best at first, but we, <laughs> we weren't eating, we worse. weren't eating fried chicken though. One of the first rules was no food in the studio. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I think it was no food and drink. And then we just quickly were like, oh, drinks make sense. Oh, we need drinks. Yeah, we need drinks. But um, I was like, I personally, I hate eating 
sounds I have misophonia so bad so mm. I was like you know if I can't listen for edits then we're never gonna be well, able to produce more than <laughs> an episode all of on this. me to listen to every single thing like five times I do think that it would I mean this kind of vaguely ties into this but um I would love to do like a live stream play of D oh, D. Like yeah. I would love to do what Critical Role mm. has done and what Dementia Twenty has done and a number of other shows. I would love to do that. And maybe we can set it at a feast so that we can have some food. Yeah, you know, I love to and then I think I'm so nervous because I again have gotten so comfortable with playing with you. I feel like you and I like we know each other's rhythm so well and we know when we need to like stop like we know when we hear like a sound outside and we're like hold on let the plane pass like we've gotten so comfortable knowing what we can edit in or out I am scared I always feel terror before our live streams because I'm like this doesn't get edited I I if I scratch my back. butt that's in here forever <laughs> and you're really loud when you do that we have to take a I, huge pause we do our episodes take like four hours to record because the finale we were here all day yeah I wouldn't stop scratching my butt it's so true so true I here I will <laughs> so say true, I will say before we jump back in I will uh, say that we it makes sense you definitely want to do it with like at least four people because yeah. you look at critical role and everyone does take their classic d d five minutes for turn. But you have other people talking and it feels totally and stuff, like yeah. normal. If it were just you and me and during like, those times silence. when we were doing math, I'm like. <sighs> and I'm like making jokes and you're like, no, I can't focus on the math if you keep talking over. I'm so sorry, please. Like, I actually, my sensory I processing, lost... my auto processing, I can't do math while you talk at me. <laughs> Can I roll those again? I totally forgot what I did. <laughs> I just forgot. Was that five or six? Uh, we'll just call it six. So I think streamers are really powerful and um, I have fear for that. So good luck getting me on <laughs> <laughs> okay well let's let's tie up our Ooh. session today oh you have one more wait i'm so sorry no, i also Jim, wanted to us. mention that it also mentioned in this is a show that i've been meaning to um tune into that i'm really excited about which is the cast of um the new uh, star trek discovery show has a DD show ah, that yeah. tom talks about in here that anthony rapp is in and also um ian alexander is in who is a young trans actor who i find like really remarkable and amazing he plays buck vu on the oa which is um <sighs> hate to say it, the greatest television show ever made to man and my life has ceased to have any meaning since it was canceled it's <laughs> true they've they've actively been pro this show even after the canceling I've to this day they're telling a, us to watch i'm it. Um, just have been in a dissociative state since that happened. I will rewatch it, by the way. I, the reason why <sighs> I haven't so was because I, I have a I have a distinct problem because I have now the DM brain of like knowing stories and arcs so mm -hmm. well that sometimes if I go into a show expecting one thing and it's not that I'd like I have to take a break. I need to reset my brain. Oh, yeah, on you're this. like whoa, the narrative wasn't. They didn't. It's good. They didn't choose the um, to follow the thread that I thought that they were gonna follow. Well, Zendaya's in the second season. It's really good, Ooh. guys. And um, it, there's really, without spoiling, Buck is a trans character in the uh, first season. And then the second season, they are in a different dimension that has the same kind of people. And um, the character is um, playing a, um, as far as we know, a, a cis girl. And I just think it's really interesting the way the show treats gender and how kind of normalized it is to have also this trans narrative embedded in the story that is like all about changing yourself 
I love it so much, and it was also one of um, the first shows that I watched that had a trans person yeah. in it. So I thought it was really cool that they were mentioned in this book too. I've been meaning to check out. I believe their show is called Disco Does D and D. So I think you're correct. But you know what, gang? You should be just following along in the book right now. So just point out the page and say it out loud as you know, and I'll, I'll leave a space so you can say it. Thank you so much for saying that book club member. So flattered to be mentioned um, next in, to that show. And I, I that's one that I need to check out because it's got some serious faves in it. Ian, if you're listening. Seriously, Tom, I mean, Tom wrote a lot of incredible things in this book and gave a lot of incredible recommendations, both what you'll hear in this little interview, but then also just shows and even just people to look up just mm-hmm. even, I know that like very different, but like me learning the history of D and D prompted me to look up and read more about these people and read more about old editions and knowing is half the battle, my friends. Mm-hmm. So good to just check all these things out. And now we dive into the end of our book. Let's talk briefly about some good things we think D and D is doing. And then, you know, some things that we still think, D&D needs to work on. Yeah. And some things are gl- glaringly obvious. So let's right. start with the things we know D&D needs right. to work better. Well, so this chapter, which is Problems and Hope, talks a lot about the things in the D&D's past that have been just not great, like some transphobic items. Yep. Uh, there's a room in the Tomb of Horrors that, like, quote, unquote, reverses your gender. Just some real kind of, like, basic gender horror <laughs> things that yeah. you as a DM would not, like, include in your games. Or maybe you would in a more thoughtful way and I thought that that was interesting because Tomb of Horrors is like such a famous dungeon that you hear about even One of the like most famous adventures yeah even yeah. I've, I've watched like streams of it and stuff uh nadpod did like yeah. that um 24 Tw- hour oh, or 12 crazy. hour uh Tomb of Horrors stream overnight that was really fun um and then you know, you you hear about there being a reversal gender room. And it's like, Gary, we, we didn't need Come on, Gary. We didn't need that one. Come babes. on, Gary. And it's actually, um, for anyone who's wondering, this is where a lot of this is discussed on page 98. Who our first pa- <laughs> true page pull right there. Um, Besides my, me telling you yeah, where you can find page us. 85. <laughs> um, it's interesting. There are a lot of things that as I was reading this and, you know, like Tom's explaining the problematic nature of a lot of these things mm-hmm. and i'm reading it and going to myself one i cannot believe that this was a part of it it's insane that it was like this so many offensive things are a part of D. Mm-hmm. i mean i can believe rather but i'm i'm still equally shocked when i'm reading about it and being like wow a room that changes you to the opposite gender yeah. interesting um but i did immediately also think about how like if i got to play a long form D campaign for me personally it would be enriching to like if my character had their gender somehow shift in a way and then they were like wow i really like this gender like you know like finding an yeah. ident- like finding i like the thing it's like oh you missed it you know it's like you created something that you just painted as a horror thing but it if you had provided a as tool. a story opportunity yeah. it could be beautiful that allowed the dm to help the character express you know the the end or the fruition of of a really beautiful story yeah. and then it's also kind of just like you know like well are you talking gender expression like are you talking biological sex you're yeah, talking like it, how they identify gender-wise. Like, it's really clear that this existed as a tool for cis men to laugh each other and put each other in the position of having to do, like, a fake high, like, sissy voice totally. and make them uncomfortable and basically put them in, like, 
fictional uh, non-consensual cross-dressing yeah and that just speaks to like this white male nerd culture that is so toxic and i think the opposite of really what D is all about which yeah. is like helping lift each other up and and helping each other's fictional dreams come true totally good is not defined by evil but certainly in this case we all were like okay definitely not that yeah <laughs> um and i yeah it's it's crazy to think about like it, I kind of have like a weird feeling that if I was in part of these groups, like something like this happens to me and I'm like secretly euphoric. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, they're like, now we have to go on an adventure to change that. And my character's like, um, I actually think let's focus on some other stuff first. <laughs> like, and I'm like, it seems not important to me. <laughs> I mean, so, you know what? Someone probably out, out there had that experience. It I was hope like, so. Whoa, I pray that there was some sort of good thing came out of that toxicity. <laughs> but it is really amazing to see the kind of like, I mean, there's just been so many missteps and it all comes from the fact that of course, the first people pioneering this were not the people who, are the identities that they're referencing. You right. know what I mean? Like, what could D&D been if it was actually, like, a, a group of people of all different types of backgrounds and, like, walks of life coming together to create a game, just using these mechanics? Right. You know, like, how could we have created still interesting stories and nuanced ways to talk about the shit that we're dealing with in real life while not making it so derivative and, like, what's the one I'm looking for? Um minimized you know what i'm talking about Sim oversimplified mm -hmm. yeah lack of nuance i just the opposite yeah. of the nuance thing for sure <laughs> i also think that like the glaring right now situation is that DD &D has been offensively racist in totally. so many ways and continues to be in all in many ways i mean like i mean this book talks about you know the title of this chapter is problems and hope problems even to this day we have examples of like heritages like backgrounds all sorts of things that are rooted in a stereotype or uh, their entire like backstory and culture is based on something that the people who were writing it had kind of no business putting into words and selling so to speak mm -hmm. so it's it, the glaring problems are definitely to me more inclusivity is just necessary you want yeah. things to be better you need to have people you want these things included you need to have the people who actually have a connection to it culturally and like experience wise being the ones creating it let right. them do it they'll create it so much better than you can and with... reading your takes and being like please don't fucking publish this seriously i mean i honestly like we're not mentioning a lot of things right now but feel free there's plenty of discourse out there right now even just look up Spelljammer. just look up Spelljammer, one of the newest books released lots of different things there that people were very upset about for everything from the like lack of mechanics to the offensive tropes that they had presented. Mm -hmm. So the, you know, glaring problems, one hope that I do have, and I'd love to hear your thoughts both mm -hmm. on this, but then also any hopes that you have is the fact that D and D responded to it at all. Like, yeah, I know it's so basic and I know that like, I'm not, I'm not like satisfied by that, but I am to live in a world where us as a community were like, no, 
and they were like, fuck, right. shit, you're right, shit, fuck. Yeah, like, well, that I think felt it's empowering. because we have, like, an online culture now where people can see each other's thoughts and, like, it's way easier for, like, boycotts and for people to say, like, I'm not going to engage in this because I think that it's offensive. It doesn't represent, like, the game that I want to be playing totally. with my friends and I would rather buy a different independent creator's TTRPG that, like, doesn't make me feel like shit or trigger me. Uh and I think that before, if D&D was doing something like that, like you might just have people on like online forums, maybe, or maybe yeah. even someone who might write a letter into Wizards of the Coast. But now it's like the thing gets released and within 24 hours, you can have everyone being like, Wizards of the Coast, why were you racist? Yeah. And then, you know, they they can't just pretend like they don't see it. Although actually, probably they do pretend like they I'm don't sure, see yeah, it a I mean, lot. There's definitely going to be instances for sure. <laughs> but I'm glad that we have like... a. a the TTRPG community being massively uh, online because we're all big nerds and online people. There's a real presence where um, we can kind of state what we want, what we expect from our creators and also use our dollar as our vote to um, engage in content that we feel represents our values. Yes. And we look at D and D right now and they're kind of in, I think that perhaps this is, you know, I will give credit to the people working there. I'm sure that there are some kind people who are actively wanting to make the company better. I do. There think always is. There always is. And then always some white guy and at the top. There's always somebody ruining <laughs> it as well. Um, but I, I do look at it, and I also think that part of it plays into the fact that D&D as a game created mechanics and the thing, like, I mean, we talk about this in the book when it was purchased um, from TSR, I believe, and it became essentially what it like is now. And they, mm-hmm. they made it so that people can create their own fan and homebrew content that exists. And therefore, if this company wants to stay relevant, they have to adjust. Yeah. Because I don't need, I literally, I mean, I've purchased a lot we've, of D&D Beyond the content. Got it, I don't though. need to buy anything else. Yeah. They release a D&D race that I'm like, wow, that's offensive and terrible. I can make it myself. They gave me the mechanics for it. So mm-hmm. I think that it's twofold of we have a incredible community that is like, we're going to be on you on this because we want better and we deserve better. Right. And then on the other side, we have a company that is like, we literally, we gave them all the tools. We, if we want them to fucking pay the bills that we have, we need to, we need to actively give them what they want. Right. We have, this is one of the few markets where I feel like consumers have such a dominant control over the content that is being mm-hmm. created. I've, I actually don't think I could name another one where like, um, you know, where, widespread consumer change happens on such a quick scale yeah you're right i feel like uh, there's a like some video games that are like online video games things like a uh, Fortnite and overwatch and things like that oh, where yeah. there's a lot of like active online input into what people want and maybe the company listens or doesn't listen um but other than that, like, yeah, we don't we don't always get to say, hey, we want you to reconsider making this more accessible to people and more representative of people's realities um, and have a chance of being heard. Yes. I mean, so. how many fucking Coca-Cola boycotts have been <laughs> out there and how much Coca-Cola oh exists in the world? Oh, what's that on the <laughs> table, Lisa? <laughs> I was like, you're adding me I so hard. I that was I was by Nestle. <laughs> Absolutely, Tom, forgive us. Um, okay, well, let's let's cap this out yes. with, um, let's talk about our characters a little bit. 
um, some characters that brought us some joy and you know euphoria and allowed us to express, express parts ourselves. of ourselves. You go first. Well, I heard a little bit about Joanna, but what are yes. some what are some other of your favorite characters uh, that you've played and and how have they allowed you to to be you? Mm. You know, I'm I'm fortunate that my short list is is actually a short list in you know because when you DM so much you have <laughs> yeah. fewer characters. But please but include NPCs, NPCs in that, yeah. Okay, so I will say Joanna Roughblood was like was me being like god I wish I had this body and this existence right because it's just me it was literally just like manic depressive Noah but with wild magic powers mm-hmm. um being able to play Magnolia in that campaign um tree stride with mm-hmm. Jacob was definitely had some again more of that like euphoric I got to play someone bubbly and kind of and wise like I got to apply my wisdom but kind of drop any of the social grace that I might normally try and like as Noah have as yeah I got to play like someone who just like I'm I live in nature so I don't fucking know how to talk to anyone yeah to so. let go of the social niceties and also your character was uh you and Ashley were in love in that campaign, oh yeah right we had a, we definitely had like a fancy like Dr. Phil Cohn kind of yeah. situation where it was like <laughs> she did not want to have any part of me and I was like <laughs> oh yeah like twisting my hair and yeah it was it was it's so it was definitely a very euphoric scenario mm-hmm. and then I think that I mean, it's easier for me to draw on the many, many NPCs I've played. I've, I'll pick three. Yes. Any in Try Not to Die or, or Emeralia or a Faithful, rather. Mm. I will stick. I will stick to the. I'll stick to the podcast because okay. that way you, you, the listeners, can feel some sort of connection. It's not such a. <laughs> well, it's fun also to hear joke. about to hear about home campaigns too. For sure, for sure. Well, you know, what? I'll say for sh- Marfin. Mm-hmm. It is. I am not a man. And and it's actually one of the hardest challenges of being God in, bless God bless uh, <laughs> of me of being in D and D and like playing the DM and playing all these characters is that I'm like yes many I mean they don't have to I guess but they exist in my world very occasionally very occasionally we, I try to avoid that for <laughs> your sake because Ola tries not to speak too try much not today. to befriend too many men <laughs> yeah um, because yes it is it's like I'm so frequently going to be perceived as a man so it's not very gender fun for me to play men yes but playing Marfin gives me an opportunity of twofold one Marfin I mean if you haven't figured it out at this point Marfin has lived a very long time yes. so there's kind of like a point where I feel like at when you become that old it's like what even is gender to someone mm-hmm. who's lived and seen gender evolve over like many 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 years exactly so yeah like kind of well, removes Marfin the man seems aspect. like a very metrosexual being totally a metrosexual demigod <laughs> basically <laughs> and and also like it it gives me an opportunity to play like what if I were like, if I were a man, or if I wanted like a man in my life, a what would that man be man, like? Yeah. And like, how do I create a like, you know, how do I make this character both all of those good things that I want to see, but also still have some story to him, so he's not just like a, you know, a stand-in like I'm a perfect man. Ha ha ha! Nothing's wrong with me. me. Yeah. So um, Marfin definitely because that's like the one side of the spectrum I definitely don't like playing in. So having characters Aww. like him is very nice to be like this is my rock in this little storm. Well, Marfin's a comfort character. <sighs> I've mentioned this a couple times in different um, you know bonus episodes on the Patreon, but Marfin has been in all of the campaigns that I have played with you in Faithfall. Yeah. Marfin has appeared, and so I have met him as many different characters. And it's always such a joy when we finally get to that point in the campaign where Noah's like, and then you appear in a <laughs> in a yeah. large magic shop and you hear a voice. 
what are you doing in my show? <laughs> I'm like, yeah! How did you get in here? It's it is <laughs> that euphoria of having a character that people know also. Comfort character. That yeah. comfort character aspect. <laughs> Um, then, I mean, I would be remiss to not bring up Captain Sticks. Captain Sticks is like all of, like, I mean, as an experience, so I mean, she's just so <laughs> fucking hot, man. I want to be that hot. And I also, you are. thank you, uh, uh, fishing for compliments, just like <laughs> I would if I were a Captain Sticks on a ship. Um, but being able to play someone who is like a force of personality and I mean, I feel like Captain Sticks is if Noah really stopped caring about mm-hmm. other people. Like, it, it, like if if Noah was way more selfish, that would be Captain Sticks. There's still like some jewels of kindness, and there's still like a goodness, and like you know, a love and a huge like a. I mean, she's a tiefling, but it, like for our world, a personhood, a humanity right. there. But, but she's been hardened into not like having to have the wall, but not give a fuck about anyone else, right. and like do whatever the fuck she wants and be wild. Right. So she's like she's. It, she straddles the kind of line that I feel like I would if I didn't have that that maybe that extra empathy that uh, whoever gave me gave to me, unfortunately. <laughs> um, because, you know, she'll be able to, you know, do what she thinks is the right thing. And then if someone gets mad at her, she's not like, oh, I'm sorry. She's like, well, then fuck you, too. And like, uh-huh. we'll just get to like live with her life. And so definitely get like a personality aspect while also a little gender aspect. Mm-hmm. And then... Let's see. One last one. The shard. And the shard and it's kind of the middle ground of something that is absent of gender right. and has kind we've I mean has used sort of he they pronouns in general, but it's kind of like I think if you were to ask the shard about that, they'd be like, I don't know, you guys just started saying that, so yeah. I started being okay <laughs> with it. Like I I like being a, playing a character where gender's not even a thought in their head. Yeah. You know, like Captain Sticks, she likes to wield her femininity. Mm-hmm. Marfin, he is trying to be the best kind of man he can be. Right. The shard is like, I don't even know what those things fucking are. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, I crave power. I crave. I want to turn people to candy and then eat them. Like that, there's a, there's a whole other layer of freedom to that that mm-hmm. is just like living a world where you're not even thinking about your identity outside of your action. Like yeah. what? 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 What is to be but to do? That's well. What that's the like trick is. too. I feel like a lot of times Ooh, non non-binary characters are expressed in D anD D through being very like chaotic characters. I don't know. Maybe we need to do like a little census poll of like every actual play show ever. But I feel like mm. a lot of queer characters are like rogues, changelings. Like we get like, kind of drawn into that idea yeah. of like there's some kind of like. The non-conforming aspect. Yeah, shiftiness and being able to change yourself or hide or be seen the way you want to see, you know, minor illusion, things like that. Yeah. Um, Trick is a a perfect example mm -hmm. as well. It's just been so long since I got to play Trick. Yeah. Maybe again soon. Maybe soon. (laughs) I've been thinking about that. Well, what about you? I mean, obviously Zola we've talked a little bit about. Is there anyone outside of Zola or are there any other things about Zola that you think have this has given you the opportunity to explore in yourself? Yeah, well... Um, for me, it has been interesting playing um, a, a female character um, so much. Uh, you know, I'm non-binary, and I kind of, you know, really came into terms that or an understanding that I was non-binary when I was like 18. And so, um, Zola, I don't think that Zola feels particularly like um, entrenched in 
womanhood Mm -hmm. although that definitely has been like experiencing sexism i have like tied that into points of her uh existence like mostly as a joke we tend to you know she's like skeptical about men and stuff and i for me that has been an outlet of like you know i'm a non-binary person but obviously like i experienced society from the viewpoint of society viewed me as a woman Mm. and so i experienced things like you know sexism uh and and inequality based on my purported gender (laughs) (laughs) what the records say but not confirmed (laughs) my chemical romance my cover band (laughs) is my purported gender (laughs) gerard come on um, but so it has it has been um, fun for me to play a character who is coming into young womanhood and what that feels like and to have the space to express that. I think that sometimes I um, shy back from expressing my femininity because I fear that it will um, make people think that I'm not actually non-binary. Like if I lean into my femininity, they'll be like, ah, yes, Lisa, a woman. <laughs> Um, but I, so I kind of have the safety to like go back into that narrative as Gorgonzola and like express that part of my life and how I grew up as like a quote quote young teenage girl. Yeah. Without the worry that like people are going to be like, oh, well, does this mean that you're not non-binary anymore? Wow. Yeah, this is definitely, you know, I, I didn't think about that, but that is so true for mm-hmm. this experience that this is, I mean, we've talked about it's a safe space, but it's a safe space to also experience the thing that maybe society confirms about you or like you've experienced from society, but you know, if yeah. you did it out there, they would be like, this negates everything. I mean, there was a time when I was like, people can use any pronoun for me. And they were like, awesome. He is so cool. And I'd be like, okay. Oh, okay. And no. anyone but that one. Because it yeah. feels like you're kind of defaulting to that. Because exactly. that's what you see. Yeah, see, I also think that I would probably be okay with any pronouns if they were all used kind of interchangeably. But then yeah. I'm like, ah, but I don't want to know if I want people to use she in the way that they mean. Exactly. <laughs> it's a different way. It's different. Yeah. And, and so it has been fun to to explore that as Zola and have the safe space to do that. Yeah. I cut you off. No, you? no. I, I Just an agreeance with you. Just the idea that like when you give people the opportunity to say this other option they're like great now i don't have to try for the other stuff and and like i think that maybe this you know because every experience is different this isn't essential to being non-binary but one thing i have experienced is this feeling that like if i wasn't proclaiming my identity frequently people would just default back to what they saw they would just be like Oh, well, that's, you know, he's done talking about that, you know, and it's just like jumping back. Whereas I think that D&D, I mean, it allows me to reinforce my gender in so many different ways. Right. Yeah. And so because it allows you to do that, there's also like the safe space to play a character that is like our like identities that we were assigned as birth. And it doesn't feel as terrible and awful and terrifying because, you know, that the people around you know that know who you are a big draw to and one of the foundational parts of like playing a character that you really love is the one of the first things that we ask ourselves and that like these like character building websites ask ourselves is like what are your core values and beliefs and we don't necessarily like in life it's not always super easy to stick to 
your core values and beliefs or even like know what they are but meanwhile we get to build these characters like totally up around like what am i going to stand up for what is right what is justice to me what does that mean to me yeah i yeah. i feel like i just watched a video it was i think it was like about socrates and I, i'm pretty sure that he like there was um a concept that is your like how ethical or how moral you are is tied to the commitment of how much you practice and commit to your beliefs whether that's both in person and on your like on your own time you know like I, there's a quote right. that's something like a man is um can only be defined by what they do when no one's watching kind of thing and right. um i think that you know D D kind of provides this area for us to test that out in circumstances that are the most dire but aren't going to you know impact our livelihood in the real world the real world is very high risk because we as far as i know we have one life um and decisions have a very wide-ranging ripple effect and yeah like in a game which is inherently so full of possibility like is the best place to explore those things like you know as long as you're like not hurting your fellow folks that you're playing with um it's a really good kind of like sandbox to just test like anything like queerness for sure but then just like humanness and like existence and ideals and what you want yeah to be able to understand someone else's perspective i can't think mm -hmm. of a better way of doing that than yeah. doing it in these kind of campaigns because it is i mean as you said you establish that safe space with your group everyone is gonna it understands the kind of play style you're gonna do it allows you to really kind of be like well you know i noah is not lawful evil but what would a lawful evil person do here how do they view the yeah. world and why do they view it that way what informed that view it's incredible really it, so and i did a, another interview last week I've only done two. I'm not like, oh yeah, I'm getting loads of interviews now that I've written a little book. Um, um, but I talk about D&D's potential as radical. And I feel like that word, it's kind of become watered down recently. I feel like um, it's been used to describe things that aren't really radical. But in this instance, I say radical as like a positive and also a very bad thing because we as, as we just said we can explore so much in this game but it's and that's fantastic but it's also such a shame that we can't do that in real life that we don't have those possibilities and it is higher risk and higher pressure um and more restrictive that doing that in a fantasy world is yeah just easier to do and like that's really sad <laughs> yeah in a lot of ways it's it's and I'm, none of us i mean i certainly don't look at it this way but in some ways it is kind of practice for the real world and getting i mean what helps you define your own values more than seeing what does not feel right and these kind of players you know like all of us going out and trying out these characters who act a certain way really helps you be like Okay, that was fun to do for them. Not what decision I would make in that scenario, but you know, that informed the story. And I mean, now mm -hmm. I better understand it. As we said, like, even if you're not happy with a decision, like it can make for a really engaging story.
when it comes to other characters, I thought I would talk a little bit about uh, another character that I play in our um, Panatolian Knights campaign, mm. Seerly. Um, she's my favorite D&D character who I've ever played. I love her so much. Um, Zola's so dear to me, but playing Seerly has, um, I feel like, allowed me to um, think critically about age and about my relationships with other people. I play this um, much older dwarven woman who is um, divorced. Uh, my um, partner in real life, Jacob, plays my divorced dwarven husband. We have been reunited by the fates um, and are trapped on a ship together <laughs> at each other's throats. Um, it's, it's very fun to play um, divorce exes with your partner if you're in a secure enough position to do that with <laughs> You them. feel confident enough to do that, we recommend it. It's very fun to have that I did. Dynamic. I talked to him about it first. I was like, can we be divorced? I think that would be funny. <laughs> Um, But she's very, very wise. She is very matter of fact. And um, I, how do I say this? She is a character who has gone her whole life and still has a lot of the concerns that she had when she was younger. Because when I was thinking about creating this character, I thought... I had recently seen a video that was like, you know, when when we have like self-limiting thoughts about ourselves to like practice, like, you know, if you said those self-limiting thoughts to yourself as a child, you would be being really mean to a child. Like right. picture your younger self, like a you know, thing like that. Picture kid you and you know, how sweet you were and how much hope you had and stuff. And you wouldn't say those kinds of things to a little kid. But then I saw a video that was like, also picture yourself as a much older person dealing with these same thoughts and these same um you know self-limiting behavior self-limiting thoughts um and how kind of sad it would be to picture yourself as something like you know a 70 year old woman or an 80 year old woman um who you know are still having those thoughts like you've lived so much life and you've earned so much and right. done so much and but then as a human you still have you know self-doubts about yourself um and so i wanted to put myself in an older version of myself's shoes and see if I could have that journey of like being like you know what I'm old enough like I deserve happiness Seerly's whole battle is that she has been chasing one thing her whole life and she still doesn't really think that she deserves it yeah Oh, it's such a tortured and beautiful story that I Thank really you. hope someday to put into pencil since I have all these recaps that have all of this information in it. And it is, I mean, similar to Marfin, being able to play someone who's older, that in and of itself is a whole different gender yeah. and experience. Like D&D provides us with the mechanics, but then also the freedom and safe space to like really try and understand parts of ourselves that if they don't exist now are going to exist yeah and like i mean Seerly is a wonderful character who is learning a lesson that all of us i mean so many people in my life are actively learning and trying to learn now which mm-hmm. is that like you do deserve happiness you do deserve like what you fight and work for right you know it's 
it's wonderful that you put others before you and you work and help people. Yeah. But you also equally deserve that. Yeah. She has infinite wisdom for everyone and infinite ability to like dissect right to like what everyone's problems are. She's kind of going around the boat and like. She's helped so much move the plot. Fixing so so many interpersonal relationships. Right now we're looking for this cave of wishes and we all have to believe that, you know, we're worthy of our wishes before we can find this cave. And so Seerly's goal has really been like being around all of these young people and being like okay everybody you do uh, everyone has to um think happy thoughts about themselves and not be, be so confident. pitiful about what you want just fucking grab it okay um so it ha- has been really fun playing a wise character much different from gorgonzola mm. allowed myself to explore a different um part of myself that i that i hadn't gotten to in yet in D before thank you Well, gang, we have talked a lot. We've talked about our characters. We've talked to you about They Came to Slay, this incredible book. Um, I think we should tie it up right now and maybe leave you guys with some questions that you can get in the comments and like tell us your thoughts about some of these things. Whether you're listening to this on Patreon when it's being released or later on our um, main feed on if you're listening to this on Spotify, you can respond. There's like a little question mark. Some there's like a little box for questions mm-hmm. when you listen to this on your phone or your computer just click on that box and you can answer these or if you're on Patreon you can you know r- reply in the comments let us know how D&D lets you express yourself and your queerness if you are a queer person totally fine if you're not straighties welcome <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the gayest podcast I'm surprised I love that you are here we love it we love and support you yeah. in all of your many selves and Please, we would love for there to be a discussion. Share about some characters that you have played. Um, tell us about your favorite character and how they, you know, let you explore a new part of yourself that maybe you hadn't before. So, thank you once again for listening. We hope that you get in the comments with all of those incredible questions. And thank you, Tom. Yes, thank you, Tom. Tom, where can we find They Came to Slay? Where's the best place to buy it? The best place to purchase They Came to Slay is uh 404inc.com which is the website of the publishers um and then they just have a little shop widget that you click on and then scroll down a bit and you'll see the book that is the best place um i'm also on twitter at tom james carter tom with an h um yeah perfect perfect (laughs) that gives us everything we need thank you again i mean if you go to tom's website which is TomJamesCarter.com T-H-O-M T-H bitch T-H bitch T-H-O-M-J-A-M-E-S-C-A-R-T-E-R.com um, You can not only find the link to the book but also a lot of the other different works Tom's other writing. Tom is such a great writer I literally had I not been forced to go to bed by the medications I take I would have finished <laughs> this in one sitting I kid you not I was so far and I was like I'm gonna fall asleep I want to finish this with a fresh eye so I woke up and read it first thing it is it's a good read so it's good. a page turner and it's a tidy little book that um you know I like to read on the subway that's when I have time to read and I don't want a, a huge chunky book that is going to weigh me down all day and this is a very um light little manual that you can that you can grab and also mine came very quickly it came all the way from from, uh, from England yeah so or from um Great Britain <laughs> from the greatest of Britain. <laughs> 
Yes, you know, I'm t- put down your Silmarillion and pick up They Came to Slay, <laughs> my friends. Um, and hopefully we'll be doing more of these in the future, but TBD, life is obviously very crazy right now. But feel free to, not only feel free to answer the questions, but suggest other books, whether it's about D&D, TTRPGs in general, gaming, because yeah, honestly, games. what we've kind of touched upon here is that consumers have a lot of power in the gaming industry because mm-hmm. that is an area we are so actively demanding so much yeah from. and we spoke with tom a lot about independent creators and and how um independent creators are pushing queer we're pushing the queer agenda we're pushing the queer not agenda not just in the dnd world but in in other areas as well yes yeah, so check out tom and of course thank you once again for listening until next time try not to die and try to read